Well, we were uh, a little more optimistic in our votes of confidence for the season in college football on Virginia Tech than the Virginia Cavaliers. Projections, I'm sure, will be coming to the Teal and Barber podcast in Richmond.com from our next guest, David Teal, by David Teal on Twitter, where you can also keep up with his work. But he's gracious enough to join us here in the Fast Lane. David, a pleasure to be speaking with you. First and foremost, looking at Virginia Tech and Virginia and actually talking some football before we discuss some things outside of the gridiron, or at least uh, more focused on the business of the gridiron, as you're preparing for the upcoming start of the season, do you have a similar level of being more optimistic about Virginia Tech than Virginia in terms of their season outlook? And uh, in the ACC preseason poll, I picked the Hokies 11th and the Cavaliers 12th. Right there. So, so barely. Where, whereas I may be more optimistic about Tech, it is not by much. So you're optimistic barely of Virginia Tech over Virginia. First and foremost for Virginia, I had them last. A lot of people did. What moved you off of that position and has them a couple of spots away from there? Defense, in a word. Although the the sight of Chico Bennett on crutches the other day, if I'm a Virginia fan, would give me great pause. Uh, that young man needs to be healthy coming off the edge for that defense to be as, as good as I think it can be. And I think uh, with, the, with the addition of the, grad, or of the transfers at cornerback where they really need some help, uh, especially Malcolm Green from Clemson, uh, I, I think that defense has a chance. You know, when you, when you return your top seven defensive linemen, that's a heck of a good place to start. But much like the Hokies, the paramount question for the Cavaliers can be summarized in three words. Can they score? Could you even boil that down for Virginia Tech and Virginia to can they block? That's part of it. But it's also can they throw? And can they catch? Where do you feel better in terms of being able to put all three of those together? Or is there too much uncertainty with both of those teams, even with the wide receiver and running back additions at Virginia Tech, to feel confident in either of them? Well, I think I think Virginia, if you're looking strictly on paper, and I think Virginia Tech's offensive line is better than Virginia's. There, there's more, at least in my mind, uh, proven is, is the wrong word, but established commodities there. And, and yes, the Hokies additions, uh, especially at wide receiver, uh, are, are encouraging. Uh, question becomes, can some combination of Grant Wells and Kyron Drones be the answer at quarterback. David Teal, Richmond.com by David Teal is the Twitter account and joining us here in the fast lane as we look ahead to the season for Virginia Tech and Virginia. Um, will we even know much about Virginia until after their game against Tennessee and uh, I guess more after their game against JMU considering that most people believe there's just such a gulf between Virginia and Tennessee that that may be harder to actually get a feel for the Cavaliers than when they play JMU? 
I, I think JMU will be a more accurate gauge. And those first two games for Virginia, not only are they playing quality opponents, but they're just so tricky emotionally. And I'm not breaking any news there. But the first game that they'll be playing since November's tragedy, and then the first home game since since the shootings. I, I think both of them are fraught with with so much emotion that none of us on the outside can comprehend and how that manifests itself on the field uh, is is a mystery and truth be told I don't I'm not sure how accurate a gauge either game will be simply because of the the over the potential for those moments to be overwhelming. Meanwhile, for Virginia Tech, when I look at their schedule, and Trey and I did this earlier, it'll be up fast lane, Ed Lane, where our listeners can hear it. Um, outside of Florida State, there's not this obvious loss, although you could debate Pitt considering the history of those teams, but there doesn't seem to be the obvious win there either. For Virginia Tech, in terms of how the schedule just breaks down for them this year. Although, again, you could debate whether Old Dominion is that because of what the Monarchs have lost in the transfer portal and that the game is in Blacksburg, not over in the uh, 757. Is that a reasonable way to look at things for Virginia Tech, that there's opportunities in both directions? There, there are. The, <clears throat> coming out of the shoot with those four non-conference games, man, they they really if, if ball eligibility is is going to be a realistic goal, they at least have to win two, I would think, and preferably three, because you know those first two ACC games, Pitt and Florida State that that you've already referenced, man, that that could get sideways. In a hurry, uh, so and those games against Rutgers. I'm going to get the, the order wrong, but home against Purdue, then at Rutgers, then at Marshall. Those are the games that, to me, are, are serious swing games uh, for Virginia Tech. David, last one for you, and you've got a great article at Richmond.com on Notre Dame trying to influence the ACC to add Stanford and Cal, but of course not add Notre Dame because the Irish don't want to join a conference. Um, Is anybody in the ACC actually paying attention to that particular uh, supposed advice from the Irish? I don't know. I don't know know if the presidents listen to Father Jenkins and, and Jack Swarbrick or not. Or if they just like I do, roll their eyes because it just—it's so rich that Notre Dame, the school that will not embrace full membership in the ACC, is trying to influence that membership. But the way the math works, and I think this is so fortunate is the ACC requires a three-quarters supermajority to approve a school for an invitation. With 15 members, Notre Dame gets a vote. That threshold is 12. 
But Notre Dame's support is irrelevant because if Notre Dame did not have a vote, that threshold would become 11 of 14. So in essence, Notre Dame's yes vote is meaningless. They have to come up with the 11 votes from the other 14 institutions to make this happen. And to date, they don't have them. That leaves us to where we are right now, which is a large level of uncertainty. What is not uncertain is the analysis is phenomenal by David Teal on Twitter, the Teal and Barber podcast, and Richmond.com. David, thank you for sharing some of that today in the fast lane, and I look forward to chatting again and now maybe uh, just being able to focus on football. Let's hope so, Ed. David Teal with us in the fast lane when we return a different Dave, Dave Walls. Location on the Sheeler Motor Mile.